0: Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, Wellpreneurs, and welcome back to this week's episode. This week, we're talking about public speaking. This is another one of those love it or hate it things, but it can do wonders for your business and your visibility and just getting yourself out there, right? But also it can be a great personal challenge and a really good way to connect with people, especially to connect with new people that haven't been exposed to your work before. So this week on the podcast, I'm speaking with professional speaking coach, Alexia Vernon. And we're talking about speaking in general, like the mistakes we make, how to find our first speaking opportunity, whether we should do paid or free gigs. And then we're also talking about her own journey into speaking because she didn't always love public speaking. And she'll share that with us today. You should also know that this is the final episode in season two of the Wellpreneur podcast. So with this season, I've moved to the seasons model. So we'll have a set of episodes for a season, and then we'll have a little break, and then we'll come back with a new season of episodes. So as you know, this season has corresponded to an epic trip that my husband and I are doing from Hong Kong to London by train. We've been traveling for almost the past 10 weeks to travel all the way back to London, and the week that this podcast is released, we are back in Europe. Now, that part of our trip is going to be very fluid and flexible, so I can't tell you exactly where we're going to be, but we're hoping to go through Berlin and then Amsterdam and then eventually take the Eurostar back to London. So if you'd like to follow along with our journey and figure out where we actually went in Europe, then you can find us on our blog, which is at ourotheradventures.com or on Instagram at ourotheradventures. Now, don't worry. During the podcast break, we'll still be active in the Facebook group, and it gives you time to catch up on other episodes as well. And maybe pitch yourself to be on some podcasts to practice your public speaking skills during this time that we've got a little podcast break. Now, as my tool shout out this week, I want to bring up Acuity Scheduling. Guys, I've talked about this before. I cannot tell you how much I love Acuity Scheduling. It's an online scheduler, It integrates with my Google Calendar, but other calendars as well, depending on what you use. And it makes it super easy for a potential client or a partner to just go onto a website and book an appointment with you and automatically get reminders. Like it saves you so much time from that back and forth and confusion about, well, when are you free and what time zone are you in and da, da, da. Honestly, you've got more important things to do with your life than go back and forth and try to schedule appointments. So if you haven't tried an online scheduler yet, I'd really recommend checking out Acuity. You can try Acuity at wellpreneuronline.com acuity. And yes, that's my affiliate link. So if you sign up for an Acuity membership through my link, then I get a month free, which is awesome. And I really appreciate your support of the Wellpreneur podcast. Again, that's wellpreneuronline.com acuity. I'd love to hear what you think this week about public speaking and what you've learned, and especially from this episode, where you think you might pitch yourself to be a speaker. So come over into our Wellpreneur community group and let us know. It's just Wellpreneur community on Facebook. And like I said, I should have pretty good internet access when I'm back in Europe. So I'd love to connect with you over there. Okay, now let's get into this interview with Alexia Vernon about public speaking. Hey, Alexia, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. So I was really excited to have you on the podcast because you're a speaking coach and public speaking is one of those love it or hate it things. I think a lot of people in my audience have heard that you need to use talks and workshops to build your business or that's a really good way to do it. And there's so much fear and it can feel really daunting. So I'm really happy that you came on today to talk to us about that and just give us some strategies
1: to get started. Awesome. This is exactly the kind of conversation that I love to have. So how do you describe what you do? I describe what I do as being a bit of a speaking whisperer. And what I mean by that is most of the people I work with are women. And most of them are circling around the perimeter of what they want to be saying to their audiences. And I help them be able to turn the whispers into a roar, so to speak and help them be able to use speaking to connect with their ideal clients and to be able to forge mutually beneficial connection and in a classy way, invite them into their higher level offerings. Mm. What do you mean? I haven't heard it described that
0: way. Like women are talking around Mm -hmm. what they really want to be saying to their audience. Can
1: you tell us more about that? Absolutely. So I think in the space of wellpreneurs, And this is not even exclusive to your audience, but particularly for women who have their own businesses, there's this sense that if I want to use speaking to be able to attract clients, then I need to be the loudest one in my space and I need to be visible and I need to talk about all the problems and pain points and be able to provide this amazing solution. And not to say that those things are not effective to marketing... But one of the reasons why I love to speak, and it didn't used to always be that way, and I love to show other people how to speak, is that it doesn't have to be this pony show, if you will. It is an opportunity to be able to speak the truth that oftentimes we don't get to share with our audience what we want to say that can be a little bit disruptive, what's outside the lines, perhaps, of what other people in our space are saying, and go to those deep places That's what I mean by being able to say what it is that we really want to say when oftentimes we're saying what we think we should be saying because we think Mm -hmm. that's what's going to get people onto a discovery call or into one of our online programs. Mm -hmm.
0: I have to say I'm really, it's been building for a while, but especially this year, I'm really turned off by all the cookie cutter, how everything feels the same. I feel like everybody's personal brand looks the same and everyone's kind of saying the same message. And I think that's what you're alluding to here is that somehow we feel this pressure that there's this one way to be successful and we have to parrot that basically. And you're saying, what if you actually said what you really believed inside or like that thing that's controversial or is just different?
1: Yes. And I'm seeing people do that more and more with their copy or in a newsletter Yet I find that a lot of people have a much harder time being able to translate that into speaking in front of real people when they're in the room with you, because obviously the sensation is really high when there's not that filter of a screen.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a lot more vulnerable, right? You're right there (laughs) with people in the room with you. So how do you, I guess you work with clients
1: both for doing speaking offline in person, but also online? I do. So most of my folks come to me because they do want to be speaking in rooms of people, whether that's getting paid to give speeches, but in many cases, getting in front of the kinds of folks that they work with and being able to invite them to get on a discovery call or enroll in one of their programs. So I love to work with folks both on, well, I should say, on three things. One, overcoming the feels (laughs) that come up when you think about getting in front of an audience or getting in front of bigger audiences to share what it is that you do helping people develop really epic content that is not slick or swarmy, but that's a true reflection of them. And more importantly, that really speaks to the souls of the people that they're seeking to impact. And then I like to help folks figure out, well, what are the right stages? Because there's stages that sound sexy, and sometimes they really are sexy in our respective industries. But then sometimes there's the closer to home audiences that are Actually, where our ideal clients live. So, figuring out how to be compelling and make that pitch to an event organizer to get FaceTime there.
0: Mm. Okay, so there's a couple areas I would love to dig in with you today. And I want to start at the end of the process. So, yeah. I'm curious from your perspective how can, so say that somebody gets a speaking opportunity be booked either on a main stage or at a workshop. I know something that's really popular in my audience is to partner with meetup organizers mm-hmm. and go speak at a meetup in their local area. Great. So you have that speaking opportunity, you do it. How do people actually go from there to
1: starting to get business off of it? What's the kind of process that you recommend there? So assuming that it's a local event, the kind that you just described, Amanda, it is figuring out how to, in that presentation, identify one key area that you want to bring your audience to competency on. So a lot of folks try to compress the whole body work that they have into like a 30 or 40 minute presentation that actually creates overwhelming paralysis for an audience. So the first part is figuring out what is that thing that you do live with an audience? And then how does that get your audience to a place where they're recognizing, I want to go deeper. I want to go further. There's a natural next step of work that I'd have to do to continue taking action on this subject. And then extend an invitation. So there are folks who are all about how to get people running to the back of the room to buy their stuff. And that can work. That's just not really my style. So I work with folks to either figure out what is the way to extend an offer to hop into a digital funnel. So sometimes it is grabbing this delicious digital guide that goes deeper and then having a follow-up sequence that ultimately moves people to a call. But I'm also all about keeping it as uncomplicated as possible. And sometimes it's as simple as inviting people to a call and having a beautiful postcard and having a very specific focus for that call. And then getting people on the phone if you have primarily a one to one coaching model or Mm -hmm. service model.
0: So basically making an offer for a discovery session, a strategy session at the end, and then having some way they can sign up.
1: Is that what you mean? Exactly. And recognizing that it's not just saying, hey, so if you want to get on the phone with me and you think I might be your coach, fill this out. The art of it is ending or transitioning with a story that shows you have been in the shoes of the person who's listening, helping them troubleshoot or move through the objections that likely they will have once they're on the phone with you, but actually doing it in the room. So speaking to the fact that you felt like you wouldn't be able to commit long-term to a vegan lifestyle. I'm just throwing out hypotheticals here because it's too hard. So speaking to the hard piece, objection is likely that there wouldn't be enough time or that they can't make the investment. Actually having that daring conversation in the room, even though you're not asking them for a dollar at that point, but helping them see that, yeah, I'm going to get on the phone and we're going to have a conversation about working together and I'm ready for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would imagine that, or at least what I've
0: observed with my clients is that people are really hesitant to even do that at the end, to even make an offer for anything. I think, especially with a lot of newbies, I see that their first time talking, they'll give a talk and give too much information and then
1: just hope that people will get in touch with them afterwards to learn more. I know. I probably spent three to four years doing that and it's not very <laughs> weird because <laughs> you'll get that outlier who's like, you were great. Can I have more? But most people will tell you that was great, but nothing will happen unless you have a process in place. And I'm all about keeping things uncomplicated, but I'm also about having a structure because it actually serves not just you, but it serves your audience. Because if they're all lit up and they're like, I see all these possibilities, and then you don't give them a natural next step, you might have inspired the heck out of them but you haven't actually transformed them. You're not leading them to any kind of lasting change, which this might sound a little bit harsh, but I actually think when we are so stuck in our own limiting beliefs, our own money story, and we're scared, it's somewhat selfish because we're not taking people as far as we could take them.
0: Now you mentioned, and I really liked this, ending with a personal story. Mm -hmm. And that's something else that I think people are really uncomfortable doing. It feels more comfortable to stand up there and give out a bunch of facts. Give people as much information as you can in that hour or in that whatever the time period is that you have versus sharing something really personal. So what do you think about that? So
1: anybody who hangs out in my corner (laughs) for any length of time knows that I'm not a big fan of fancy pants, slide decks, and over-educating people. The reason somebody is in a room with you is to experience what I like to think of as a soul-stirring experience. They're lit up because if they just needed education, they could go online and they could read stuff. But if they're in the room with you, I think you don't just have an opportunity, but you have a responsibility to utilize that face-to-face framework that you have to do something different and special. So I do recommend interweaving stories throughout. So typically beginning with a story that has some kind of what I call come to Jesus moment in it. And this is not religious at all, but it's a story that is either your story or it could be a client story, but typically it works best when it's your story that is A story where you broke down and as a result of breaking down, you had some kind of breakthrough. It questions your faith. Sometimes it was what led you. Oftentimes, it's what led you to the work that you're doing and how you're serving in the world right now. And where a lot of people get this wrong, because I think most of us have this understanding that we should tell some kind of story, that we make the story about us and we don't actually give it over to our audience. So in creating that talk, you want to actually ask questions of your audience that let them have their own aha moment, even if they haven't lived through the exact situation that you have. And from there, that's when you can start to go into speaking to their pain point or the problem that they have and identifying one foundational solution. In that, still giving stories, still giving examples, being provocative, asking questions. If you are in the healing space, giving people opportunities to have visualizations or to actually develop some tools, not too many tools, three, max. And then as you start to transition into where you can go from there, the key is coming right back to story. And usually there it's some kind of story of resistance. Sometimes it's revisiting that initial story in a new way. So maybe it took you three to four years, like it did for me to ever actually give an offer in front of an audience. So my first story might be, well, it often is, The first time I gave a speech and how I had headgear and kids laughed at me and how it created this whole story that I couldn't get up in front of people. But now when I come back around, the story is about how long it took me to actually extend an offer and how important I realize doing so is now, not just for me to stand in my value, but to invite other people to stand in there. So it's being able to do that story as we've talked about and then also letting people know what's actually going to happen on that call and letting your calls be amazing experiences that people are super psyched to want to get on.
0: Awesome. I'm really curious about your opinion on this. What about, should you charge people to come to one of your speaking events? That's a topic that comes up a lot.
1: Is there any benefit in actually having people pay to attend or should you just do free events? So this is a great question and I hate to say it's complicated, but it is because I don't have one answer. I'll share with you what makes it complicated. So Whenever people pay for anything, they're more likely to show up. So from that standpoint, I like when people have some investment in your event. And it's one of the reasons why even a lot of small groups, professional associations, whether it's the National Association of Women Business Owners or your E-Women chapter, they have fees depending on where you are in the country or in the world. That fee can be as low as $15, $25. Sometimes it's more like $50. Now as a speaker, you don't get that fee. The event organizer does. But I like those events because those people are showing up and they're showing up in a way where they've got some skin in the game. Now, if you're self producing an event, I similarly recommend that you have some kind of fee attached. And there, it's all about the positioning. So if you just say, come hear me give a talk, usually that's not going to command a top dollar. But if you're framing it as a two or three hour workshop, and as a workshop, you're very clear on what the takeaways are, there's some interaction. People are going to get up, they're going to try some of these new strategies and techniques, maybe they're going to create a plan, then I do recommend monetizing that. Now, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, Amanda, like you have people who are going to meetup groups and the meetup groups are free. And so there you have to vet a little bit more that meetup group to make sure is my ideal client newly in that audience or is this a bunch of people who are in the freemium model where they'll show up to anything free, but the minute you start to talk about investment, like they're out. Because I see that, unfortunately, with a lot of the meetup groups, not all, but some. In which case, it might sound great that you're getting in front of an audience of 50 people if it's a really active group. But if it's not a culture where people go on and actually pay for things, then you might be better served having a small workshop that you self-produce with 10 to 15 people, but it's your audience and you've primed them to invest.
0: Yeah, really good point. Although probably if it's your first speaking opportunity, just talk wherever, really, right?
1: Like if your primary goal is to get over the resistance and get comfortable being seen, take the speaking opportunities (laughs) that are most immediately in front of you, whether it's a meetup, a rotary club, a philanthropic organization that needs inspirational speakers to come in and talk to clients. Like there's totally a season for that, but also give yourself permission not to stay in that season for too long. And Mm -hmm. think about, are there other entrepreneurs in your community who are adjacent to you. So I'm not a big fan when I hear multiple, like a health coach and an acupuncturist get together and they do a workshop where then it's, okay, this is sort of awkward because most likely people in that audience are going to choose health coach or acupuncturist. But I'm going to take it out of the wellness space for a minute let's say you are a lawyer and you're partnering with a CPA, that can be a really great partnership where you both pull audiences, you come together, you do some kind of business planning workshop because you can't have a lawyer without a CPA and vice versa. You need a CPA and a lawyer. So finding those people who are adjacent, who have a similar audience, but you're probably not competing for that client.
0: I'm wondering, have you had any really bad speaking events that you could share?
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) I've been speaking professionally since I was 19 years old. And let's just say I'm not 19 years old anymore. (laughs) Um, It's been almost 20 years. So yeah, there's been a lot in there. What kind of story do you want specifically?
0: I don't know. Something that I guess I'm thinking maybe one of your first ones where you just didn't really know what you're doing or you were speaking
1: to totally the wrong audience. Yeah. So I'm actually, I asked you, what do you want? But I feel like a story that I told to my mastermind group recently That is not as long ago as I wish that I was, given how long I've been doing this. But it happened maybe seven or eight years ago. And it was this hotshot conference in my local community here in Las Vegas. And I definitely pushed to get on this particular speaker's event roster. So she paid her speakers, not a ton, a few hundred dollars, but it was a nice honorarium. And they were all, I don't want to give too many details here, but administrative professionals. And she had a reputation for like leading these elegant events and people came all over the country. She didn't always use local speakers. And so I really wanted to impress. And I had proposed a particular angle and she wanted to go in a different angle. So mistake number one, I didn't stay in my zone of genius. I allowed myself to be flexible, but I actually recommend that speakers do not switch their subject. You do what you do. Because otherwise, you wind up being in your zone of mediocrity. And sometimes, as was the case for me, zone of... I don't want to say incompetence, but (laughs) zone of overwhelm. Mm -hmm. So I picked a really general topic and I had probably about an hour. And I tried to literally create an encyclopedia's worth of information on this topic. And I could tell that my audience was not really jamming with me. All of my humor and levity was gone because I had a mission to deliver... 500 slides. I mean, I'm exaggerating somewhat, but a lot of slides and a lot of content in my time. And when I got the evaluations, I saw all of these twos and threes and I was, okay, that's kind of average. That's not so good. And then I realized it wasn't like two or three out of five. It was two or three out of 10. And then I started reading some of the comments and I got comments like, if only I could listen to you when it was close to going to sleep, because then you would have cured my insomnia. That was so boring. Oh, and that was wow. so. Oh my God. I to this day, I would much rather. And I sometimes get this of people who are like, I disagree, but you were entertaining and I respected you and I understand where you're coming from. So yeah, that one was a miss a huge wake up call to throw out 75%, literally 75% of what I think I should say to an audience. And I do this online as well as when I'm getting in front of a live audience to slow down and go deep rather than circumvent and do a lot of things, but give people a lot of shallow information that doesn't stick.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I don't usually do this because it's your interview, but I just want to share mine actually because I think it would (laughs) fit in really well. And I'm just doing this because we all have these bad experiences. So when I first became, I had a natural beauty blog that had a good amount of followers. And when I first became a health coach, I got an invitation to speak at a mom and baby fair and it was going to be paid. And I was like, this is amazing. Now I don't have children, right? And so that, and moms and babies, like that is not at all my target audience, nor do I know anything about it. But I was really flattered to be invited to speak. And plus it was paid a little bit. So I went up there, it was a couple hours away. So I prepared this whole talk. I prepared handouts, all this stuff. I go up there and I'm getting ready for my talk. There's like a room where all the speakers are. It's like a big expo and then there's a speaking room off to the side. And the talk before mine, the room is absolutely packed full with people, moms and kids and everything. Well, then that talk finishes and literally the entire room empties out except for one lady with five kids. (laughs) And that was for me and it was horrible. And I had to get up and give my whole talk to this one lady with all these little kids running around (laughs) who wasn't even paying attention to me because she was trying to watch all of her little kids. And that was it. And then basically the organizer didn't pay me afterwards, which I think is because not enough people showed up. So I basically wasted my whole day, didn't get paid. It was really embarrassing I think the thing was, I was speaking on a topic that I wasn't comfortable with. And so that to me, I remember being on the train on the way home afterwards. And I just thought, wow, this was a really great lesson. Never to accept an opportunity that didn't feel aligned mm-hmm. with <laughs> with me. And I think that's why people didn't show up too. It was just not at all my audience. So that was awkward and painful, but um, and I think it happens to everyone.
1: Money on the table, make sure that there's an agreement.
0: Yeah, exactly right. I mean, that was just such a big learning experience all around. So never And you survived and here you are. And I survived and now it's funny and I've learned a lot. So anyway, cool.
1: Okay. So what are some of the mistakes that you see beginner speakers making? One of the biggest ones is not understanding why they're wanting to speak. And I know that sounds so elementary and so ridiculous, but I will recommend that people answer this in one of three to four ways. So I'm looking to speak right now because I want to get comfortable in front of an audience and learn how to play nicely with all of the sensation I feel in my head, in my throat, in my chest, in my body when I speak. That's a perfectly valid reason. However, for other people, it's I want to speak because I want to get in front of my ideal clients. So if you know that, you're going to filter speaking opportunities very differently and you're not going to go off message because if you do, that's not going to connect with your target audience. A third reason is, let's say, I really want to get corporate engagements. And I'm seeing more and more of this in the health and wellness space. A lot of my clients are like, I love working with individuals, but I would really love a company to bring me in so that I can do monthly lunch and learns with their employees and get paid to do that. Or I would love for them to bring me in as their on-site health coach or whatever it is. So if that's your goal, where you speak to be able to get in front of, let's say, HR leaders or employee wellness leaders, Again, that looks very different. You might be speaking to professional associations of managers or HR folks or even CEO groups. And then there's a fourth reason, which is I'm doing this for thought leadership and positioning. So in that case, maybe your goal is to give a TEDx talk or to speak at a TED style event, like a local creative mornings or an Ignite event in your community. Or with respect to thought leadership, if you know, let's say you're looking to get a traditional book deal because you've been in your space for a while, looking then for industry events where perhaps there's no compensation, maybe you can't pitch, but like a publisher is going to say, oh, wow, you are on this big hotshot health person stage. That speaks volumes to you. So being able to answer one of those four questions is really important. So to come back to your question, Amanda, a mistake, it would be, well, not knowing what the reason is and just sort of hoping if I do it, it will lead to something without being really clear what's it leading to. The second thing, and we've already talked about this, is if your desire is to speak for clients, not having a system or process in place to make it really easy for people in your audience who vibe with you, who see you possibly as like their messenger to go the next step. And then a third one, because I don't want to do my old habit of giving people overwhelm, is not having a really good structure for their presentation. And it's not about cookie cutter or following formulas, but it's understanding how do you have a clear idea worth spreading. And one of the most simple ways to be able to do that is to start with a powerful opening and create aha with one of your stories. Present the top problem that is relevant to the work that you do. Get to the cause of why we have that problem so that you get buy-in from your audience and then present a solution, your solution that begins that process. And you don't have to tell the whole solution. Usually you want to really stick to those key mindset shifts that need to happen and start to paint a picture of what those next steps would look like. And then you close things out by giving your offer and inviting people for more.
0: Mm,
1: Thank you. I'm curious how you use speaking in your own business these days. That is a great question. So it might sound funny, Well, it depends when people are listening to this, but the year period from second half of 2017 into 2018, I spoke, I think, to two audiences. I got paid and I gave a TEDx talk and that was it because I've been writing my book, which will come out in the later part of 2018. And I knew that for me, my primary goal was to get that book written. And then I hosted a bunch of events for the women who are in my coaching programs. But I was like, you know what, right now it doesn't actually make sense for me to do a lot of my own events. However, in a normal year, I'm usually speaking once a month or once every other month. And it's a mix of keynotes and corporate engagements, because that's one profit pathway for my business. But then I still will do a good free engagement if it's usually within my industry to an entrepreneurial group that has a big audience. Because while I don't do a lot of private coaching anymore, I do VIP days where I work with people on their speeches. And then I have a high-level mastermind. And I know that for me to fill those programs, nothing works as effectively as giving people an experience of me as a speaker. Totally.
0: So you mentioned before we started recording that you've had some changes in your business recently about your husband joining you. And I'm super curious about that. So can you share a little bit about what's happening for you there?
1: So it's really funny that we're on the day that we recorded this. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those programs, Amanda, where you have to write a letter to yourself of where you will be 90 days or six months or some period of time later. And I got that letter from a coach that I worked with. And I'd gone on this retreat of where I would be at the end of the year. And I had to pull myself together and not be weepy crying by the time we got on (laughs) Because I'd set this intention that within 60 days after writing that letter, my husband would come into my business, even though it was sort of predicated on a book deal that wasn't signed yet at that point, and doubling the capacity in my mastermind. And I'd only just started those interviews. But like I'd had this intention for a while. And so did my husband. Don't want to make it sound like I was a crazy manipulative wife here. But that we both had a vision of who we wanted to be as parents. We just have one kiddo but also who we wanted to be in terms of our relationship. And although I can be location independent or flexible in terms of the work that I do, I do a fair amount offline here in Vegas where I bring groups here. But he was working as a wildlife biologist, an environmental consulting firm. And most weeks, Monday to Friday, he was in another state supervising crews. And while He enjoyed his work and his company took amazing care of him. The reality was that for the last few years, I'd been the primary breadwinner and that the distance was not good for our family as a whole. Like the two of us could kind of deal with it, but we were just starting to see things in our daughter that we didn't like in terms of her not being as bonded to him when he would come home on weekends. So we knew from a revenue standpoint, what that needed to look like for me in order for us to feel comfortable. And I'm someone who's somewhat risk at first. So it took a while. But then there was also that piece of what does it look like in terms of us being together all of the time? and What does his role look like? Because he's used to managing a huge team and how does he feel significant and not like, okay, I just joined my wife's company that's about women speaking empowerment. Like, how do I fit into this? So I can't tell you that like we've ironed out every single piece or that this will be what we do together forever, but more often than not, it works. And it's been really good for me to trust that even though I've had a virtual team, I've never had a true partner who's helping with every single decision. And when things go wrong, and as we're filming this, it's Mercury Retrograde. And we've had some really crazy things we could have never predicted go wrong with our big, robust email management system. But like just being able to have someone who's sharing that burden has been really lovely.
0: Mm. And so I'm curious, do you guys actually work in the same room
1: all day? Or how have you <laughs> given yourself some separation, yeah. some personal space? So we have separate office spaces, but truthfully, we spend a lot of time on our couch sitting next to each other on our laptops. And do we do that all day long? No, maybe a couple of hours a day. Because of my mastermind, I do spend three days a week, three weeks out of the month, coaching people for like half the day. So during that time, I'm definitely in my office, doors closed, I'm focused on my peeps. But during the other times, we actually do really well sitting next to each other because we just bounce things off of each other all day long. He handles a lot of the back end logistical stuff, managing the team, a lot of the admin support for our clients. But sometimes we'll just have questions and it's so much easier rather than what I've heard from some of our couple friends who work together where they'll like Trello each other or send an email asking a question. It's okay, if you're going to work with your partner, you should enjoy the fact that you can talk to your partner because they're in the same facility as you.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. That's really exciting. Oh, well, we're getting to the end of our time together, actually. A couple of questions just to wrap things up. If you could go back, and I know you've been speaking professionally, you said since you were 19, but since your business has really become what it is today, if you could go back and give yourself some advice, what
1: would you tell yourself? Great question. First, I would tell myself to have more fun because when I'm having fun speaking, my audience is having fun too. And that's a really big one. Stop trying to hustle for audience approval and be the most Zany and not zany as in you're trying to perform, but like silly, fun, sometimes scrappy version of yourself. Because ironically, that's what's going to connect to people a whole heck of a lot more than trying to prove that you're an expert. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second biggest thing would be don't opt your audience members out, let them make that decision for themselves. So I was notorious for getting in front of people and saying, Oh, these are all the reasons why. They wouldn't be able to afford to work with me or they're already working with another coach. So I should just skip over my offer, stand in my power, make the invitation and trust that the universe might be conspiring on my behalf.
0: Awesome. I love that. Thank you. Alexia, it's been great talking to you. You've given us so many tips and advice, and I'm sure there's going to be a good discussion about speaking back in our Facebook group too, which you're welcome to come over and join with some of the listeners. So how can people get in touch with you, learn more, go
1: further with your work? So speaking of Facebook groups, I have one specifically around speaking, no surprises there, called the Spotlight Speaker Salon. And there's a lot of wellness and health and folks that are in there. And I love the group because I can share resources. So a lot of event organizers are constantly sending me things. Hey Lex, do you have any speakers? So I post that kind of stuff in there. I answer I don't coach in the group obviously but I answer basic questions and people are using each other in the most beautiful way for like opportunities. So that's one way. And then I have a free video training that is evergreen called the Hot Shot Speaker Series. And for anyone who's wondering, okay, I know that I want to speak and I know that I don't want to do it in this cheesy formulaic way, like but I need some support in figuring out how do I become that soul-stirring speaker I know I could be? it really starts to walk you through how to find that idea that you want to be known for and start to develop epic content. So I'm sure you can post that link for your group and folks can join that.
0: Absolutely. We'll post that in the group and also in the show notes for people so that they can get it. So thank you so much for being here, Alexia. It's
1: been great talking with you. My pleasure. Thanks again for having me, Amanda. And I look forward to talking to all of your audience as you need me.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. You can get all the links in our show notes at wellpreneuronline.com. And this is the final episode in season two. So after this, we're going to take a few weeks break before we come back for season three. But don't worry, we'll still be connecting and sharing in our Facebook community, which is called the Wellpreneur community on Facebook. And I'd love to see you over there. And also, it's the last couple weeks of my husband and my epic trip back from Hong Kong to London completely by train. We've been traveling for almost 10 weeks, and now we're finally back in Europe, and I'd love to share our journey with you. You can follow us on our blog at andourotheradventures.com, or you can find us on Instagram and our other adventures. Okay, have a fantastic week, guys, and actually a great few weeks because we're going into our podcast break. So I will see you back here in season three. Have a good one.